I want you to grab your Bible, if you will, or if you have a device with a version app on it, get it. And let's go to Matthew chapter 5 together. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, as you're getting there, I want to take just a moment and I want to celebrate a couple things real quick from last week. Okay, one, uh, last week we had seven people get baptized, which was awesome. Uh, seven people who took the step to publicly profess their faith in Jesus out in front of this building. So, man, that's a big, big deal. Can we just celebrate that step these people took? Awesome. And just so you know, if you haven't taken the step to get baptized here at Cross Point just yet, uh, maybe you're here and you don't even know Jesus and, and you're going to meet Jesus sometime soon and you need to get baptized. Uh, our next baptism, it's going to happen in August, August 17th. Uh, if you've been around our church for the last several years, you know historically we've done baptisms at the river. Well, we've run out of space at the river the last two years, so we're going to do baptism at the lake this year over at Taylor Farm, and it's going to happen August 17th. We're going to do a big church birthday celebration on that same day. Our church will be eight years old this year in August, which is insane, but we'll celebrate together, baptize a bunch of new people. So if you want to be a part of that, then uh, you can sign up at the connection desk over the next several weeks, but we'll get more info that to you or more info on that to you soon, okay? Uh, the next thing I want to celebrate is the fact that last Sunday we put a charge out to the church for community makeover project leaders. Uh, if you're new here and uh, you have no idea what Community Makeover is, it's an annual event that we do and we send hundreds of people out into the community to do community service projects. We serve our schools, we serve homeless shelters, battered women's shelters, children advocacy centers. Uh, there are certain years where we've served residents that, that just need help and they can't do it themselves. So this year we're doing Community Makeover again. It's a ton of fun. And last year we asked people to step up and to lead projects. Well, we've never had this happen in the history of our church, but we filled every single project leader position in one day last Sunday, which is a big, big deal. Awesome. And so thanks to those of you who stepped up and, and you're going to be serving in, in that role. For those of you who went, man, I kind of wanted to do that. We can do co-leaders, all right? So if you still want to help lead in some way, go to the connection desk. We'll sign you up. We'll get you involved. And for the rest of us, I just want to say to you, make sure you save that date on your calendar. Uh, Saturday, July 26th, that's the date of community makeover. Man, we need hundreds of people from this church to be a part of this event so that we can actually pull off all these projects that we want to do all over our community. All right, so save the date, plan to be a part. Well, last week we kicked off a brand new summer series called Best Sermon Ever. And in this series, we're studying the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached while he was here on the earth, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're actually going to be in this series for the next three summers talking about topics like anger, divorce, worry, loving your enemies, revenge, judging others, all kind of big topics that I think probably most of us in the room are interested in. But today we're actually going to spend our time talking about what Jesus taught concerning the Old Testament. Now, I know for some of us in the room, that doesn't sound too exciting, right? You're like, dang, I was hoping this was the anger week. I have issues and I need some help. That's next week, all right? So be back next week if, if you need that and invite somebody with you that's angry all the time, okay? But, but today, it's Jesus in the Old Testament. But, but I want to tell you this before we get going. This message today is insanely important. 
Jesus knew what he was doing by starting here before he got into all of the practical life application stuff that that we're going to start talking about over the next several weeks. You see, this message today is literally going to set up where we're going, not only this summer, but for the next two summers. So it's good that you're here. We're going to learn a lot today about the difference between just changing outward behavior versus true inward heart change. Important stuff, so we're going to get going, all right? When I was in college, I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine on this very topic. We were hanging out one night talking about Jesus and the Bible, and uh, and my buddy says to me, James, I don't really think we need the Old Testament anymore. And his comment kind of intrigued me, and so I asked him what he meant, and, and he said, well, the Old Testament, it was written and it was in effect long before Jesus ever came to the earth. Uh, The majority of its teachings are geared toward the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And since we have the New Testaments in Jesus now, I I think we should probably just rip the Old Testament out of our Bibles. I mean, why do we really need it? Well, the problem with the statement that my friend made is the New Testament passage that we're going to study today. You see, apparently my buddy was busy reading his New Testament Bible. He missed what Jesus had to say concerning the first 39 books of this book I hold in my hand. Because according to Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures are not only important, but they're critical for you and for me. And we're going to jump into Matthew 5 and start reading together. And I'm going to show you what I mean, all right? Pick up with me verse 17. And again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So in these verses, what Jesus says to his listeners is simple. He's going, listen, I didn't show up here on the earth so that you could rip the Old Testaments out of your Bibles, right? That's what he means when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law, he's referring to the first five books of the Bible there, Genesis through Deuteronomy, which is known as the Torah in the Jewish culture. And then when he says the prophets, he's just referring to the rest of the Old Testament. Now, this statement from Jesus is highly important because the religious leaders of his day actually thought this is exactly what Jesus was trying to do that he showed up on the earth to do away with all the Old Testament teachings and that he was actually trying to to put in effect a new way of life that contradicted the traditions that they had known and followed for literally hundreds of years. And here's why they thought that. Because Jesus went around doing things like healing people on the Sabbath, God forbid, right? But the religious people considered that to be work. You, you can't work on the Sabbath. You heal somebody, then that means you're, you're working. Jesus, he also went and he hung out with people who were considered to be sinners and tax collectors, people that the religious snubbed and, and shrugged off and had nothing to do with. Uh, Jesus went around healing lepers, offering hope to prostitutes, and those people in the eyes of the religious were unclean, and so they questioned Jesus. Man, it, it even got to the point of, of being this ridiculous. In Matthew, 15, you, or Matthew 15, you find the story of, of the religious leaders approaching Jesus, and they're angry with him and his disciples because they believed they didn't wash their hands correctly before they ate a meal. So Jesus, he's busy living life defying religious traditions, religious man-made rules that had been in effect for hundreds of years, yet all the religious people understand that in no way whatsoever is he contradicting the Old Testament teaching. So again, he's, he's standing before him going, I didn't come to mess it up. 
I didn't come to, to get rid of it, to destroy it. Instead, I came to do what? To fulfill it. To do everything that the Old Testament scriptures teach and require. Now, I'm going to do my best to explain this so that we can really understand what Jesus is teaching here. And we're going to start by talking about the law, okay? If you pick up this book and you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you will find that God gave his people, the Jewish people, 613 laws to follow in the Old Testament. And he did that as part of a covenant he was making with these people. Now, in the Old Testament, a covenant, it was simply a legal binding contract between two parties in which both parties had responsibilities. So it'd be like me coming to you and and I'd say, hey, dude, I'll I'll clean your house for 50 bucks, right? And so we write up the contract and and I'm telling you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to dust, I'm going to vacuum, I'm going to wash your dishes, and you sign on the dotted line so I know you're not going to stiff me my money. That's a covenant, Well, the covenant God made with his people was this. I'll be your God. I'll bless you like crazy. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll give you land to live in. And then God says to the people, your side of the covenant is 613 laws. So in other words, I'll be your God. You can be my people, but you have to do what I say. That was the deal. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Old Testament God... He's the same God as the New Testament God. You know that, right? The Old Testament God's not like mean and angry, and the New Testament God is full of love and grace. Even the Old Testament God was full of love and grace and goodness. And we find the truth of this in the fact that that God not only gave his people 613 laws to follow, but he also set up a sacrificial system that would provide these people a way to seek out his forgiveness if and when they broke his law. You see, God knew, man, these people aren't perfect. They're going to screw it up. They're going to lie. They're going to steal. They're going to covet. They're going to put other things before their relationship with me. And so God said to the people, and you can read this in the book of Leviticus, when that happens, when you blow it, when you break the law, I want you to find an animal. I want you to kill it. I want you to spill its blood, and it's going to die on your behalf. You see, we know from the scriptures, and this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible, that the penalty of sin, the penalty of breaking the law of God is what? It's death, right? Sin requires sacrifice. And so God is is telling his people in the Old Testament, when you screw up, I'm going to give you a way out. When you blow it, I'm going to give you the opportunity to seek out my forgiveness so that you don't have to die on your own. You can kill something in your place. Now, God's requirement for sacrifices was this. He said sacrifices had to be spotless. They needed to be pure. They couldn't have any defect. They, they couldn't have any blemishes, couldn't be blind, deaf, deformed in any way. So in other words, these animals, these sacrifices, they had to be absolutely perfect in every way. So let's take it back to Jesus, okay, in this message he's preaching. So imagine this. You're this Jewish person sacrificial system of law. It's been a part of your way of life for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus stands in front of you and he said, I'm here to fulfill the law. All that it teaches, all that it requires, I'm here to fulfill it. You see, these people would have understood exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate and it's important for us to understand what he's trying to communicate. So let's talk about it. First off, Jesus is pointing to the fact that he came to the earth to fulfill the letter of the law. Jesus is standing in front of this crowd of people going, I'm here to do everything the law teaches perfectly. I mean, think about this. 
that in 33 years of life here on the earth, that Jesus followed 613 laws perfectly and he never messed them up. He got it right day in, day out, every moment, every day. He was perfect. He was sinless. I mean, think about how incredible that is. Let's just think about the, the Ten Commandments because we know those and think about how incredible that is. That never once did Jesus put anything before his relationship with God the Father. Never once. Never once did he love anything or anybody more than he loved God. Uh, never once did he covet. He didn't look down the street at his neighbor and say, man, I wish I had that guy's money. Wish I had those guys' kids. My kids are, well, Jesus didn't have kids, but let's just be <laughs> hypothetical, right? Wish I had that guy's car. Wish I had, why? Jesus never coveted. He never wanted anybody else's stuff. That, that never crossed his mind. Jesus never lied. Some of us lied this morning, right? Trying to get the church. Jesus never lied. My three-year-old daughter, think about this, even as a kid, he never lied. My three-year-old daughter lies at times like it's her job. Just yesterday, I'm sitting on the couch beside her, and, and she's got my Kindle Fire, and she's watching a little video of hers. And I kept having her turn the volume down because she was cranking it. And so we pulled the volume down, and I'm sitting there, and a couple minutes later, I hear it's cranked again. And so I look over at my girl, and I said, Rowan, did you turn the volume back up? No, Daddy, wasn't me. <laughs> well, who was it? It's just me and you on this couch, man, you sinner, right? Man, if you ever question the doctrine of original sin, whether or not we're born in the world of sinners, just have a kid, all right? And, and that'll do all the convincing that you need. Jesus never lied. Parents of the room, think about this. Jesus never dishonored his parents, not once in his entire life. Every time mom and dad asked him for something, it was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Every time it was Jesus, take out the trash. He did it on the first time. Jesus' room needs to be clean. I'm on it right away. Even as a teenager, man, he didn't buck the system, didn't fight for his own way ever. It's crazy to think about, right? And it's crazy for us to think about because we're all sinful, imperfect people, but Jesus isn't. He's sinless and he's perfect in every way. Now, this is insanely important for us to understand because of what Jesus ultimately meant when he made this statement that he came to fulfill the law. And what he ultimately meant was this that he came to the earth to fulfill the requirement of the law. It wasn't just the letter of the law. He came to fulfill the requirement of the law. Now, let's see if you were paying attention a moment ago. Um, what is the requirement or the penalty for breaking God's law? It's death. If you break the law, something has to die, either you or something else. Breaking the law requires someone to make a sacrifice, and not just any sacrifice, but a perfect sacrifice. All right, you guys are with me. You see, when Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, here's what he's claiming. He's claiming that he came to be the perfect sacrifice that the law demands from sinful people. That's what he's claiming. He's standing before this Jewish audience saying, I'm the one who came to this earth to put all this animal stuff to death. I'm going to die in your place as your perfect sacrifice, and I'm going to fulfill all the law requires of you. Now, we have to get this, because if we don't, we'll find ourselves in danger of having a very wrong view of our salvation. Here's what I mean. If we don't understand the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself in our place for our sins, then we'll start to believe and view salvation as nothing more than a free pass from God. 
right? We probably all met people like this. Maybe you're that person who, who, right, you think you know God because somewhere along the way you prayed a prayer and you said that you believe some things about him, but there's not really any love for Jesus inside of you. And the reason that's true about you is because you think that God just gave you a free pass for all that you've done wrong. But you know that God didn't give you a free pass, Right? God doesn't give out free passes for sin. He can't. It goes against his very nature. You see, the Bible teaches that God, he is holy and righteous and just and so far above and beyond us that we can't comprehend him. And because he's a holy, just, righteous God, he has to punish sin. That's a whole different message, but you just have to know and understand that if God doesn't punish sin, then he ceases to be God. So when we pray and we put our faith in Jesus, it's not God just going, I'll let it all go. You see, Jesus came to this earth to bear the brunt of what your sin and mine require. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life so that at the end of that life, he could lay himself down in our place as our perfect sacrifice and take from God all the punishment that your sin and mine required. Church, I mean, you get that, right? That Jesus suffered willingly for you, for all your mistakes, all your mess-ups, all your failures, all your sin, past, present, and future. Jesus became your perfect sacrifice so that you could know new and eternal life with God and be loved and accepted by him fully and forever. Jesus did that for you. You see, if you've ever wondered why we talk about Jesus so much here at Crosspoint, that's why. We just love Jesus. That's why we talk about him all the time. Every message is about him. We sing songs about him. If crying out loud, it's why our mission here is to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. You see, we want people who don't understand that, that Jesus became their sacrifice for their sin to know him so that they can know the God that created them. So everything we do here is about him and is for him. And man, I just pray that every day you'd wake up and you'd remember what Jesus did for you and what he did for you would just cause you to love him all the more. Not only does Jesus say that he came to fulfill the law, the letter of the law, the requirement of the law, but he also tells us in this passage that he came to fulfill the prophets. Now, I want us to put ourselves back in the shoes of this crowd of people listening to Jesus in Matthew 5, if we can, to really understand this. The Jewish people, they would have sent their kids to school, Torah school, at a very early age, about six years old, to start learning the Old Testament scriptures. Um, From age six to ten, a kid would have memorized and studied the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Insane stuff, right? Ten-year-old spouting off the book of Leviticus at you. That's just crazy to think about. This is what was happening in Jewish culture during this time. Now, the average student at age 10, they would actually leave school, they would go and study the family trade, and they would start working with mom and dad, but, but week in and week out on the Sabbath, they were in the synagogue learning about the Old Testament scriptures. Now, for the best and brightest students, they would continue on in school, and by age 14, they would have studied and memorized the entire Old Testament. Isn't that insane? Some of us have 14-year-olds, and we can't get them to do their math homework, These 14-year-olds are studying and memorizing 39 books of the Bible. Now, I tell you that to tell you this. These people listening to Jesus, they knew their Bibles well. They knew that time and time again in the Old Testament, that prophet after prophet 
spoke about a Messiah, a Savior, that God would eventually send into the world one day to lay his life down as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of people once and for all. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Over 300 times in the Old Testament, these prophets are saying when the Savior comes, when the perfect sacrifice comes, here's what he's going to look like. Here's where he's going to be born. Here's what he's going to do. Here's how he's going to suffer. And what's crazy about this passage is we find Jesus standing before this crowd of people, Sermon on the Mount, going, you know all the prophets have taught about the Savior, the coming Messiah? I'm here. I'm him. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm here to fulfill everything that they said would be true about me. Absolutely amazing stuff. So, so what does knowing this about Jesus and, and the Old Testament mean for us today? That's a really, really important question. Well, here's what it means simply. It means that instead of, of ripping the Old Testament scriptures out of our Bibles, that we should actually love the Old Testament, that we should study it, and that we should seek to live out its teachings in the same way that we do the New Testament. Now, if you're wondering, James, do I have to obey all those 613 laws? We'll get to that at the end, okay? Just hang in there with me. But listen, this whole book is about one person, and his name is Jesus, both old and new. It's all about him. So love this book, read it every day, and do what it says, and I promise it'll change your life. Now, I want to give you two specific reasons that you should love the Old Testament scriptures and read them on a regular basis. And uh, if you were here last year when we preached the book of Galatians, I gave you these same two reasons then, but I'm giving them to you again because they're important, all right? First is this. We should love the Old Testament, read it all the time, because it points us to our sin. It points us to our sin. I'm sure you've noticed all these mirrors on stage by now. Some of you might have light reflected in your eyes. We apologize for that. But think about this. What's the purpose of a mirror? To see yourself. It shows you your reflection. So, you know, you go stand in front of the mirror to have something on my face. Does your shirt look okay? My pants too tight, right? That's, that's what you do. You check yourself out. It shows you what you look like. Uh, imagine that you were out in the yard working all day. It's summertime, so we're doing that. You've been doing landscaping, cutting grass, putting mulch down. And so you walk in, you're disgusting, you're sweaty, and, and you look in the mirror, and what you see is the fact that your face is dirty, covered in sweat. You know, you got pieces of mulch stuck on you. You're just nasty. Well, what are you going to do after you see yourself? You're going to clean yourself up, aren't you? You're going to wash your face. You're going to hop in the shower. What you're not going to do is this. You're not going to grab the mirror off the wall and start rubbing the mirror on your face to try and clean your face up, are you? That would be weird, and we would all think you were weird, and we wouldn't want to be your friend because normal people don't do stuff like that. What you're not going to do is use the thing that showed you what you really look like to clean yourself up. And it's the same with the Old Testament law. You see, God gave us the law so that we could see what we really look like. He didn't give us the law so that we would take it and try to fix ourselves with it. He gave us the law so that in trying to follow it, we'd understand we can't and how desperate we are or how desperately we, we need his grace and his salvation. He gave us the law to expose us, church. That's what it exists for, which is what makes the next point so important. Not only does the law in the Old Testament serve as a mirror to show us our sin, but it also points us to our Savior. Points us to our Savior. Again, God's plan all along was this, that in you and I trying to follow his law perfectly, 
we would understand that doing so is absolutely impossible and that we would truly understand just how much we need him. And I'll give you a picture of this, right? My daughter, she's three years old, so we're in this stage of life where she just wants to do everything herself. Let Rowan do it. Let Rowan do it. Takes us twice as long to leave the house, right? Just because she's got to do everything. And one of the things she loves to do is she loves to dress herself. And she does pretty good most of the time, but there are those times where pants are turned inside out. Uh, Not long ago, I was dressing her, and it was kind of one of those moments, let Rowan do it. She was just emphatic. She wanted to dress herself. So she's trying to get her shirt on, and she gets her head stuck in the armhole. All right, now listen, I'm a little claustrophobic. I don't like being in tight spaces, and I think my daughter got some of that from me because she started losing her mind. She's screaming, and it went from daddy, let Rowan do it, to daddy, help, right? When she realized she couldn't do what she wanted to do, what she was trying to do, she reached out for me. You see, that's what the law is for, church. The law exists so that as we try to follow it, we understand how impossible it is to follow it perfectly. And as a result of that, what we do is we reach out to God, our Heavenly Father, for the help and for the grace we need. And what the prophets in the Old Testament did for us was beautiful. They just gave us a picture of what the Savior would look like so that when he, when he came into the world, we'd actually reach out for the right person. The Old Testament, it points us to our sin. It points us to our Savior. So church, listen again. Love this book and read it every chance you get and do what it says. Now, I wanna go back to verse 19. We're gonna read a couple more verses and this is where we'll end. Let's go back to this passage with me. Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the statement from Jesus had to completely shock and maybe even discourage the crowd of people in front of him, and here's why. Because the two groups of people that he mentioned, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were known as the most righteous people in society. Like, I know we bust a lot on Pharisees today, and rightfully so, Uh, Jesus busted on Pharisees throughout the New Testament, and rightfully so. They were self-righteous, arrogant men, and so, you know, they're deserving of that, in my opinion. But you have to understand, in that culture, these men were highly, highly respected. They were experts at all things church and religion. Their morality was off the charts. People actually wanted to be them and be like them, but most people were realistic and understood that that was never going to be the case. So I mean, imagine you're that person sitting in the crowd, average Joe, and you hear Jesus say, don't you dare relax on any of the commandments, don't teach anybody else to do the same, and, and by the way, if you want to get into heaven one day, you have to be more righteous, which means guiltless, sinless, holy. You have to be more righteous than the most righteous person you know. I mean, I'm sure these people were picking their jaws up off the floor. Jesus, are you kidding me? But it's so important that we understand what Jesus was trying to get at with this statement. It's actually something that we teach here at Crosspoint all the time. And, and here it is. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. Jesus was trying to teach this crowd that works righteousness doesn't work. 
that works righteousness doesn't work. In other words, we can work as hard as we want to follow the commands of God in order to make ourselves righteous, holy, sinless, guiltless, so that we can then come into the presence of God and say, God, look how awesome I am. Don't you love me? Don't you accept me? But the problem is, that's impossible. It doesn't work. Man, be as good as you want. Come to church as much as you want. Serve all you want. Give all the money you want. Be nice to every person you come in contact with. And I'm telling you, it will still fall short of of working your way into a relationship with God. I've said this before. God doesn't look for good people. He's looking for perfect people. And that jacks us up because none of us are perfect. So what we need is somebody who can make us perfect. You see, the Pharisees missed this. They thought, truly, if we can just manipulate enough of our outward behavior, we can be good enough for God. And Jesus was going, no, you can't, bro. You, you can't. That doesn't work like that. Works of righteousness doesn't work. You don't work your way into righteousness. You see, church, instead, we need someone or something outside of us to make us righteous, to make us perfect, so that we can have a relationship with God. We need someone not just to manipulate our outward behavior. We need someone who can change the inside of us, who can change our hearts, give us new desires, a new way of thinking and living. And this is exactly where Jesus comes into play. You see, because Jesus lived a perfect life and died in our place as our perfect sacrifice, he actually has the ability and power to make us righteous people. Like, church, you get that the cross, it didn't only provide a way for your sins to be forgiven, right? The cross also provided a way for you to be made into a perfect, righteous person in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this, that Jesus at the cross, he became our sin. He who knew no sin became our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like, how crazy is it that Jesus offers us a straight-up trade? Like, give me all your sin, all your mistakes, all your baggage, all your failures. I'll die for that stuff as your sacrifice so that it can be forgiven. And as a trade, I'm going to give you all my perfection, all my righteousness, my perfect life, so that you can then stand before God and he can view you just like he views me. How insane is that, church? That literally every time God looks at you, he doesn't see sinful, jacked up, always screwing up you. If you know Jesus, what he sees is a person who is blameless, who is innocent, who is sinless, who is guiltless. All he sees in you is the character of his son, Jesus, and you may as well have lived the life that Jesus lived while he was here because that's what God sees you as, is that person. Man, it's amazing to think about what Jesus has done for us. And church, look at me, don't miss this. Because that's true, that's why we work hard to follow the commands of God. We don't follow the commands of God out of fear. We don't follow the commands of God in order to prove anything to him. We follow the commands of God because we understand how deeply God loves us. And in following his commands and being obedient, we express our love back to him. We know he loves us because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, man, I know what it's like to be that person. Maybe you're the person here today and you think this way. I know what it's like to be that person that reads this book and you go, dude, this is too much, right? 
You read it and you feel like God's trying to rob you of joy and happiness. He's trying to steal something from you. He's trying to make you miserable. God, why would you want to keep me from that or that or that? Like, and you view God as, as more of a slave driver than a loving father, the loving father that he actually is. I know what it's like to be that guy. I grew up in church and that was my Christian life for a lot of years. And again, the way that we end up there is by thinking wrong things about who God is. Church, let me ask you this question. I've asked this before. What loving dad doesn't give his kids rules, boundaries, and commands? I've told you before, man, my three-year-old daughter, she wouldn't be alive today if we had no rules in the house, right? She is a maniac. No loving dad says to their kids, man, roll down the stairs, play in the street, put your fingers in the light sockets. No loving dad does that. Why? Because loving fathers want to keep their kids from things that could absolutely destroy their lives. That's the kind of dad God is to us. He's a loving father who gives us commands for our good and for our joy. And when you understand this about God, here's what happens. You start to love his commands. You don't want to be the person that relaxes on any of his commands in the scripture. You want to strive every day and work really hard to live in obedience to him out of love for him so that you can be the person he created you and saved you to be. That's what you want to do. So back to these 613 laws. James, do I have to follow all those? Are you kidding me? Here's what I would say to you, and I'll keep it short, sweet, and easy, okay? Um, Great question. In John 14, Jesus says that if we love him, we'll do what he says. That if we truly love Jesus, we'll obey his commandments. I think that's a pretty easy verse to understand. So I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to pick up your Bibles, and if you don't have one, visit the Connection Desk. We'll give you one as a gift before you leave. Get out your Bibles. Read the teachings of Jesus. See what he commanded his followers to do, how he called us to live and act on the earth, and then obey his teachings. You see, I don't have time to get into this fully today, but I'll just tell you that as non-Jewish New Testament believers All those 613 laws that we find in the Old Testament, all of them don't apply to us. All of them don't apply to us. What does apply to us are the teachings of Jesus. And so read his teachings and and do what he says. But before you think you're getting off easy, like, woo, awesome. I'm just telling you straight up, Jesus took the Old Testament law to a whole nother level. And in a lot of ways, and you'll see this over the next several weeks as we dig in deeper to Jesus' teachings in this message, in a lot of ways... It seems as Jesus is trying to almost make it more difficult for us. Now, that's not the case, but at first glance, it seems like the case. But man, pick up the book, read it, love it, do what it says, and live out the teachings of Jesus. Now, as we close today, I just want to keep it really, really simple. Here's all we're going to do. We're just going to celebrate Jesus together. We want to celebrate him as our perfect sacrifice. We want to celebrate the fact that Jesus truly is the fulfillment of of all the Old Testament teachings, that we can take hope and comfort in who he is. We can be confident in what he's done for us. And so we're gonna celebrate him in just a moment together as a church. And when we do, man, don't act like you hate being here. Like, get up and sing your guts out and act like you love Jesus, all right? That's that's the challenge. We wanna celebrate him, not act like we're at his funeral, okay? So we're gonna do that in a moment. But before we celebrate him, before we celebrate him, if you're in the room today and you walked in here without a relationship with Jesus, like you've never said yes to a relationship with him, you've never trusted in him as the perfect sacrifice for your sin, the one who came and died for you and rose from the dead, 
to give you new and eternal life with God. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So I just want to invite us all over the room just to bow our heads, to close our eyes. And if you are that person again, and you know you're not perfect, you know you've fallen short. Even though you may not know the Bible well, you're new to this whole church thing, and there's something in you that lets you know that you've fallen short of being the person God created you to be. Like, you know it. Right now, even when I'm saying it, man, you feel something going on inside of you because you're going, that's me. If you're that person who has no idea what's going to happen to you after your life on this earth is over, whether it's next week or next year, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, like all that you know about death is it's scary because it means the unknown. I just want to tell you, man, all that stuff can change for you today. And if you're tired of being the person that you've always been, if you're tired of living the same life you've always lived and you're ready for a new life and you're ready for a hope you've never known and you want to walk out of this place confident that you're going to spend eternity with God and his kingdom, man, that starts with you saying yes to a relationship with Jesus. And man, I just want to remind you again, look, God loves you more than you could ever comprehend. It is not your job to fix your life. It's not your job to clean yourself up. That's Jesus' job. He wants you to bring all your garbage, all your failures, all all your mistakes, all that you've done in the past to him. And he wants to take it from you and give you his perfect life. So if you need to say yes to a relationship with him, right now in the quietness of your heart, I want to help you pray a prayer. And this prayer, I'm not imparting anything to you. This is not a magic prayer that saves anybody. This is just a simple way for you to say yes. And just say something like this to God. God, I know that I'm a sinful person. God, I understand that I have fallen short time and time again of being the person that you created me to be. But God, I don't want to live like I've been living anymore, God. I, I want to live the life you created me to live. And so, God, I'm coming to you today, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son, as the one who sacrificed his life for me for my sins so that I could be forgiven and accepted and loved by you. So God, would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus not only died for my sins, but I believe he rose from the dead three days later so that I could be made a new person, a righteous person in your sight and so that I could have eternal life with you. So God, would you, would you do that for me? God, would you make me a new person? God, would you give me heaven? save me, rescue me. I say yes to Jesus. And if you just prayed with me and you said yes for the first time, man, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. In just a moment when we sing, I'm going to ask you to take a step. When we stand and Matt starts leading us in worship in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take a step. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to walk to the lobby that you came in through. And in that lobby, there's going to be a team of people waiting on you with some resources. They want to put these resources in your hand. They're our gift to you. They're going to help you get started in your brand new relationship with Jesus. Now, listen, I know that can seem intimidating. I know that that can seem overwhelming. But just know, man, we want to celebrate with you what God's done in your life. 
If you need to bring a friend, bring a friend. If you need to bring a stranger, bring a stranger. We're going to cheer you on. Don't be scared. Man, take a step for Jesus today and let us know you said yes. God, would you just let your presence fall in this place? God, we pray your Holy Spirit would work and move and that not a single person could walk out of this room unchanged today. I thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. God, we celebrate you today. We love you, and we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. If you said yes, I want you to head toward the lobby. The rest of us, let's celebrate Jesus together. Come on.